Here we go. It's time for the Sal and Rich and Roving Reporter Larry Show. Today we have a great show. Our very special guest is Tom Tursich. You may have heard about Tom. He's the young man who decided to take a long walk back in 2015. And walk he did. Tom walked for seven years, 28,000 miles, traveled through 38 countries, and crossed every continent except Australia because of lockdown with his dog, Savannah. It's going to be a very interesting show. Who's not with us? <laughs> That's another long he's story, He's not with Tom. us. He's roving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's roving. <laughs> Uh, he's so roving right to... now. So let's welcome open this board. up. We are excited to have you here. Yep. And um, the first time I met you, I'm not sure if you remember, you were a server in Indie Blue. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was about what year? Uh, that would have been, I guess, 2014. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 2014. Yeah. And you, I was with my wife. And my nephew and niece, you were at a server, and all of a sudden you told us, oh, yeah, I'm going to go walk around the world. And we just looked at you, and you told us the whole story. And we were fascinated by it. And I came home, I told uh, my daughter, who's married to Alex, Marrow, and she says, oh, yeah, I know all about this, yada, yada, yada. And it was, it was just amazing to watch you for the next, I guess, 10 years. Right, seven years, seven yeah. years, seven, yeah. it's been ten years, yeah, yeah. So it was just amazing, and we, you got us through COVID, man, with your social <laughs> media, and uh, everybody I know on our street and people over Haddon Township. You were the constant subject of the world walker. Where is he today? Where is he? Where is he? And uh, I know friends of mine used to check in with your parents all the time. We haven't heard from him. What's he doing? So why don't we kick it off with, why did you do it? Yeah, so I, I had a friend uh, who passed away when I was 17. She was 16, Emery. Um, we grew up a block apart from each other. Uh, we were good childhood friends, went to Strawbridge uh, Elementary, walked to school together in high school. Her friends were my friends. And when she died in this, freak jet ski accident, it really drove home the fact that, you know, if it could happen to Emory, then it could happen to me. And mm -hmm. sort of, of course, I had thought about death intellectually before, you know, and uh, when I was a kid, I remember having all these sleepless nights trying to resolve death and trying to imagine what it was would be like to die. And then coming to no answer and then sort of setting it aside and forgetting it and going about my life. And then when Anne-Marie passed, it brought all of that angst and all those unresolved questions back and uh, really forced me to figure out how to integrate uh, the fact that I was going to die and it could happen at any moment. And, uh, and then a couple months later, someone played Dead Poet Society in a class in a speech and communications class. And that provided a lot of the answers that I, I needed, you know, carpe diem, seize right. the day, all that, all that yeah. stuff. And then I thought about, okay, I have this limited amount of time here. What do I want out of life? And when I really thought about it, I wanted to travel. I wanted to be forced into adventure, um, 
forced because I knew that I was timid and introverted and I really wanted to be pushed to grow. And uh, I wanted to understand the world. And I was looking for all these different ways to you know, make that happen. And then I stumbled across uh, these two guys, Steve Newman and Carl Bushby, these two guys who had walked around the world. And once I saw that, it was like the light went off. And so that fits everything that I value. That fits everything I wanted out of life. And then it was eight years of saving, working, working at Indie Blue for 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 about a year. Um, but uh, saving, working, living at home, paying off loans uh, until I was able to begin. So about how old were you when you left? I was uh, just about 26. It was the day before I turned 26 when I left. And so I, I'd said, I remember I was working a solar panels. I had been installing solar panels since I was 17, basically uh, every summer. And then after college, I would do that. Um, I was doing that full time. And before I turned 25, you know, I was working with all these older guys and they were all really beat up their bodies. Um, and most of them were ex iron worker, uh, but they're all really beat up. You and, don't have to rub that in. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be working these, be working these long days and then you go back and you sit at the hotel and you watch some TV and drink some natty ice or whatever it was. And I was like, I, you know, I, I, I love the work and I love these guys, but I can't like, I had to draw the line somewhere. It's like, I can't do this forever. So I said, I'm going to quit at 25. So I quit at 25, even though it was a very good, very well-paying job. And then, uh, then I started working um, at uh, Indie Blue, the Indian restaurant. And then I was working at um, uh, El Sitio. I think it's closed now. It's a Peruvian, like South yep. American restaurant. So I was working that and I was working at an insurance firm. I was working like, sometimes I was working three jobs at a time um, just, to, to save money. And then at, at that point I told myself, okay, the day I'm leaving before I turn 26, that's the plan. And so then I left the day before I turned 26. So when you, and, when and you what say, what day was that? April 2nd, April 2nd. So when, when that's you out. made the, the, the point of, um, you know, I'm going to do this, what, what kind of preparation did you have to do? I mean, cause you just don't start walking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like a crazy amount. You can really only plan so much in your head. I mean, I did research into the visas that are needed and uh, mm -hmm. the general route. And that was determined a lot by how easy it is for an American to get a visa. Uh, but and then otherwise, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life. So I figured, okay, like, you know, I'll figure out the physical side of things uh, sooner or later. I went on some hikes you know, I did 10 day hike. I did, uh, some two, three day hikes. And then, uh, eventually it was, I knew I didn't want to carry a backpack. I, I hated carrying a backpack and also it didn't seem practical because you just wouldn't be able to carry enough food and water. Right. But it's also just like walking around with a 70 pound tumor. I would be, I would be a cripple if I carried around a backpack for seven years. So I got this, uh, bike stroller or this, uh, yeah, it's like a bike stroller, basically, to attach to the back of a bike, let a kid ride in the back. And I thought, okay, I'm going to attach this to my waist and I'll just pull all my things around in it. And so I took that to the factory in Collinswood, this maker space, and looking for someone to sort of modify this aluminum arm. And that's when I met Tom Marchetti, who's another uh, head townshipite, very good friends with the Marrows, grew up with the Marrows, who kind of connects us all. And <laughs> um, he was like, 
he he kind of right away believed in my story. And at that point, I had barely told anyone. I I told people maybe in high school. I told a few people in college that I was planning on walking around the world. But generally, I didn't like talking about it because it's like an insane idea. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. why would I talk about this crazy idea when I haven't started? It just seems very uh, arrogant. And, <laughs> and but I told Tom about it. You know, this is what I'm planning on doing with it. And so he took it right away and we walked around the factories trying to get me sponsors. He set up some press conferences, ultimately got me my primary sponsor, Philadelphia Sign, and really helped me uh, start selling myself a little bit or or talking about it even at all. Um, and so that's kind of uh, – that was like the primary yeah. preparation was just trying to save money, pay off loans, and then figure out – some way to carry my things. And eventually Tom yeah. made me this big car and I pushed around all my things in it. Uh, and then the first month or so of walking, like the physical aspect, it was really difficult going. Uh, I was cramping all the time. I lost so many toenails and blister. I had so many blisters and mm. the first month was not easy. Even though I was like a tennis player in college and had been going to the gym, walking for eight hours or six hours whatever it was that day was very different than anything else I had done. And my body was not ready for it. And that's like the other difficult thing in, in the very beginning, you know, that first month, even that first week was just figuring out where to walk. I remember I went into Pennsylvania. I had these bike maps that I was going to follow all the way down to Florida. And I get onto these windy Pennsylvanian roads and I almost died like six times <laughs> because cars are whipping around these narrow little roads. Oh, and I threw those maps out and then I got to figure out something else. This <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> is <So it's> not safe. <laughs> wow. So no, when, no. When you... I mean, if you know Pennsylvania too, those roads are I harrowing. Do. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I lived in Valley Forge for yeah. a little bit. And um, so, yeah, I know the area really well and you're right. You can, yeah. I'd ride my bike right, right on around these there, roads. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy. So, um, so you mapped it yeah. out, right? And so you, did you, did you think about the Appalachian Trail at all or or just totally avoided that and decided to go across? Did you go east to west or north to south? No, I did think about the Appalachian Trail, uh, but again, I was going to pull this cart. And so that kind of took away the trails right away. Um, so okay. uh, the trail was out of the question because just pulling the cart on it would have been such a pain. So I walked that first year I walked. New Jersey down to uh, Mexico, uh, the kind of the east um, of Mexico. I entered through Reynosa or McAllen in Texas, and then I passed through Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and Panama. So that was the first year. And um, yeah, it was. Uh, when did you get Savannah? I got Savannah after four months of walking in the U.S. I adopted her in Austin, Texas. And so I'd spent those first four months on my own, never really imagining getting a dog. And it – but over – I mean, one of, the, one of the challenging things about that initial section and why I'm very glad I started in the U.S. is – was just figuring out where to sleep each night and how to sleep in places each night. <laughs> and in the beginning, I would get discovered all the time. I would camp in these you know, places that would be, uh, you know, it, like I remember just a few days and I camped basically in the center of like these eight houses in this little patch of woods. And I'm just kind of surrounded by these eight houses. And then another night I was in this other patch of woods kind of by this high school and kids saw me on their way home. <laughs> 
uh, another time I camped on someone's property because I couldn't find somewhere to sleep before it got dark. And I, I was like, oh, here's some woods. I'll just sleep in there. And then when I woke up, there's a woman and the police officer yelling at me. I had no idea I was on their land. <laughs> uh, so that was like God. a difficult thing in the beginning. And then this other, the other difficult part of it is that there's always this part of your brain when you're camping in a new, when you're sleeping in a new place that you just can't really turn off. Um, I think and at this point I could, but in the beginning, it's really, it's really a difficult thing is that you're just going to wake up probably four times a night, like minimum thinking you hear something. And mm -hmm. so you never really sleep super, super great. You can sleep maybe like 85% of say your best sleep, but you're going to wake up a certain amount of times. And so after so many of those nights, I just kept thinking, man, I really want to turn off that part of my brain. And the thing I thought that would do that would be a dog that could listen while I slept. And so when I got to Austin, Texas, I actually didn't walk to Austin. I walked to Houston. I had cousins in Austin. And I said, I'm going to take a week off and just hang out with my cousins there. So they picked me up in Houston. I was in Austin that first day. I had nothing to do. My cousin is at work and my, her husband's working on his PhD. So I'm just going to walk over to uh, this adoption center. And I walked over there. I spent like two hours there trying and meeting some of the dogs. None of them really fit. I'm just about to leave when they brought out Savannah and her sister, who are just little puppies that they found on the side of the highway. Hmm. And kind of right away, I was like, I, you know, actually, I, I initially walked away. I mean, I was very intrigued. I wanted, I wanted to to adopt Savannah. Her name was Lulu at the time. I was like, this seems like so rash. I can't just adopt a dog. Like my first day in Austin, I just showed up to this adoption center. I can't just adopt a dog right away. I should sit on this for a second. And this other woman was looking at her and her sister with me. And she said, if you leave, they're going to be gone. They're going to be gone in, mm. you know, 10 minutes. The puppies never last. And <laughs> so I said, all right, I'll, well, you know, that was it. She kind of forced my hand. And so I adopted Savannah there. And as I was adopting Savannah, her sister was being adopted. So they truly lasted like maybe five minutes in the adoption wow. center and then they were gone. <laughs> so uh, this, this, this dog way. gets adopted, thinks it's going to go home to a nice, comfortable house, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sleep right. in a bed every night. And what happens? And what happens? And she's she's living maybe the dog's dream. Gets to go on a walk all the time with her best bud. <laughs> Let's go back to the um, the sleeping part and choosing a place to go sleep every night. Mm -hmm. So, how often did you did you have an incident where the police or I mean, you mentioned that you sat in the middle the first night. You sat in the pa uh, slept in a patch of homes or eight homes around you. Mm -hmm. Anybody say anything to you? Uh, well, that night it was actually I met I actually met this great family. They saw me. Um, I left a note in their door because I was basically camping behind their house, and I was like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm not a serial killer. I'm going to be gone in the morning." <laughs> and the guy came out in the morning. Uh, the son like waved over to me. He was smoking a joint and was like, "Do you want to hit at this joint?" And now it's okay. But, and then he said, do you want to come in for breakfast? So I went in and had breakfast with the family and they're all very nice. And so, you know, majority of the time, uh, that's kind of how it went. If I had some encounter with someone who's generally, generally very nice and nothing. I mean, all through, through Mexico, um, El Salvador, down in Ecuador or whatever, there were times I would have to 
camp on someone's land. I just couldn't find somewhere to sleep. And I'd camp on the edge of some, you know, big property of, you know, generally like farmland, something like that. And every once in a while, a farmer uh, or, you know, a shepherd or whatever would find me. And they were always really nice and didn't care, you know, once I explained what I was doing. Um, and that, w- that was everywhere. In Turkey, I was found in Turkey, like by the end of the walk, you know, Turkey was, uh, I guess, six years in, basically. I had been walking for so long at that point that I could really sleep anywhere and I knew nothing was going to happen. I had camped in so many places, in so many situations that I knew people were nice and really they didn't care. And yeah. even if probably the people who did care were probably more afraid of me than I was of them, you know, just they're walking around in the middle of nowhere at night and they see this tent and maybe Savannah starts barking or something like that. That's probably going to scare most people off. Um, so let's say, so like in Turkey, I got so lazy about where I'd camp. I'd just camp like, oh, I was like, all right, this is fine. I'll just sleep here. And then, a, you know, a shepherd would stumble across me and he'd be very nice and he'd have some dogs that were very nice and it would all be fine and didn't really matter. Uh, but in the beginning, yeah, it was, um, I would get myself, I would say, into um, more stressful <clears throat> situations at night just because I didn't really know. I didn't know, like, the tricks. I didn't know what I could get away with, what I couldn't get away with. And that's something that I just had to work on. Uh, I started sleeping in churches a lot by, like, the time I got to the American South. Like, churches I relied on a lot. I would just camp by a church because, say, the pastor comes out and says, what are you doing here? I say, well... You know, I thought this was a house of God and I would be welcomed here and I'm just looking for a place to sleep outside for a night. <laughs> and, you know, and generally, I mean, that bore out every time and I never had a problem. Great. Um, and then I, I got very good at knowing kind of what little patch of woods I could sleep in and get away with. I mean, obviously, it'd be great to just sleep in a, a peaceful, big, massive forest every night. Sometimes that's not going to happen. And so I realized, OK, especially in the U.S., like no one goes outside at night. Out like if you're if you're out if you're out at night like everyone's inside watching TV or right. they're in a bar or whatever like I I could sleep right next to a road in the U S in a in a patch of woods that's like you know eight foot by ten foot whatever I would never get discovered um, no one's going <laughs> in there and if someone did find me they probably thought you know think I'm a serial killer or something you know they'd be very afraid um, in other countries it's different say like when I was in Morocco there's people out all the time. I mean, I mean, until midnight or later, and they'd be up very early for the morning prayers. And so I'd really have to like tuck away if I didn't want to be seen that night. Right. Um, so like, there's all this, just these little, little quirks. You, you learn all these little tricks and then you kind of learn the, the feeling of every country, how dense it is, how many people are there, how late do people stay out at night? Um, how su- suspicious are people in this country? How protective are they, are they of their private property? Um, so there's a bunch of little things that like you just uh, – that I learned to feel. And as I went through more countries, I got really good. I could spend like a night or two in a country and be like, okay, I know exactly what I can get away with and where where to look for to camp and how long I need to give myself uh, before sundown uh, to find a place. Yeah. So, Tom, did you ever um, did, when you were traveling through the United States? <clears throat> when you were traveling through the United States, did you avoid major cities or basically suburbia, back roads? I would say, in general, I try to avoid cities. I mean, everywhere, just because um, it's really stressful to walk through cities. 
mm-hmm. um, especially s- Central and South America, just very busy, um, a little bit more chaotic cities uh, than, say, Europe or even North Africa or, or in the U.S. Um, but also then it's just difficult to find a place to sleep. And so I try and time my my day where it's like, okay, I'm going to, if it's a big city, I'm going to walk through the city all day and I'll be on the other side of it by the end of the day, find somewhere to camp. Um, if it was too big for that, then it'd just have to get a hotel or, you know, Airbnb, something like that. Um, I'm not, I wasn't going to sleep on a bench or something. It'd be too dangerous. Okay. Yeah. Tom, did you ever Sal, you were ask something there? Yeah. When, when you, when you got to like, I think you went to Columbia, did you ever feel threatened, you know, cartel drugs, all that? Cause you always hear stories about that. <clears throat> There's a, Columbia is interesting because, you know, they had this long history of political violence um, and cartel violence uh, called La Violencia. It lasted probably like 50 years. Mm-hmm. And so when I was walking it, I had just walked through Central America, which statistically was the most dangerous section of the world. Um, you had El Salvador and Honduras were one and two most violent countries in the world. And then every country but Costa Rica was, I think, top 15. And um, so Colombia was like a little bit of a reprieve. Um, it's, I think it's still, it was, I think it, at the time it was in the top 20 still, but it felt like, okay, I'd gotten through the worst of it. But, and even then though, even then, I mean, it's like, I guess I'll get into that later, but even that is not like, the world is very safe. I don't mean to say mm-hmm. like these places are like there's people living there all the time and they're living fine. And um, I don't want to blow the danger out of proportion because it's not crazy. Uh, but Columbia is interesting because this older generation, I would get to these towns. I'd be walking through these mountain towns and I'd sit down at a restaurant and I would talk to, say, the owner, this, you know, an older guy or an older woman and they would always warn me, so be careful about the town ahead. It's really dangerous in the town ahead or, you know, the Farks there or whatever. Be careful about the town ahead. Every per, every older person would say this because that had been their lived experience. And then if I talked to a younger person, they'd be like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, I mean, they were <laughs> – like, maybe, maybe it was dangerous, you know, 10 years or 30 years ago. It's fine now. And that bore out. I mean – Columbia was fantastic. Walked through it, no problem. It was really friendly and and wonderful. And I walked through very remote places in Colombia too. Never had a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was very interesting to see that like lived experience and the difference in how born out and how people would always, you know, be, oh, be careful. The town ahead. The town ahead. You got to right. be careful. That that's <laughs> and every town would say that. The town ahead. That's the dangerous one. <laughs> so, whatever <laughs> whatever cool. was outside of what they knew. Yeah. yeah. So now you're in South America, right? What's that? You're in South America. You made your way there. About what mm-hmm. time frame was that? Uh, so that was, let's see, I got there, it would have been March of 2016. And okay. then, uh, yeah, and then I walked it kind of that summer into that winter. Uh, and then ultimately caught a boat from the bottom of Argentina in uh, the beginning of March, uh, 2017 to Antarctica. And then I, wow. and then flew up to, um, back home to get Savannah's paperwork to get her into Europe and then did the Isles, you know, uh, Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland, Scotland, 
uh, fell very sick with a bacteria infection from somewhere in South America. I remember that. Healed up. And then it was Denmark down to Spain, Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, up Italy, and then kind of along the Mediterranean, across Turkey, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan. So that's the general route. And then back across the U.S. What was it so, like in America? Um, How cold was by it? By this time... Yeah. I'm sorry, Rich. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was fine. I mean, we're there in summer, I guess. What's that? Okay. No, I was just like, you think yeah. of Antarctica is like, it's cold. Yeah. But yeah, I guess the summertime, it gets to reasonable temperatures. Yeah, it was like 30, 31. And you, you have nice gear and you're on a boat. So it works out. Okay. Wow. Right. Go ahead, Rich. So, you, so uh, then you're in Europe and well, how, how did you like South America? I mean, was it? South America was interesting, um, I would say, for the intensity of uh, – Central America was very intense. Uh, it was the first time I was walking abroad. It's very densely populated. Uh, I was learning a new language as I went. I was learning new cultures, learning how to navigate through all of that. And Savannah was a puppy. So it was like this really intense period of growth and um, – like survival as well and paranoia. And then by the time I got to South America, it's like, okay, I have a sense of what I'm doing. My Spanish is pretty strong now, so I can get details from people about, you know, wherever it is I'm passing through. So I don't just have to live with like this fear. I can resolve that. And then uh, I walked Colombia and Ecuador, which were just beautiful countries, so picturesque, very calm, and then descended to the Proving Coast where it's flat. And the Proving Coast is just all desert. And so then I was walking desert for months um, in Peru and then into Chile until I crossed the Andes into Argentina. And that was like very, very transformative certain months because I had just nothing to do but think and be bored and uh, really contemplate myself. And uh, so I'd say that that period was probably the most, I would say, maybe it's maybe it not the most transformative, but I would say internally, it, it taught me the most about myself in a certain way. I remember having this thought in South Peru that I had thought all the thoughts. I had thought everything that my brain could possibly think of. I had thought about, you know, every, like how my parents influenced me, these mistakes I made, what I could have done differently. You know, my teacher in second grade, what they said and how that influenced me, how the culture influenced me. I had thought about everything from every different angle so many times that I was just empty. <laughs> and then on top of that, I'd lay out in the middle, I'd lay out at night on a tarp in the desert because there's no chance of rain, there's no bugs. So I just throw the tarp out and then you'd see the Milky Way and a billion stars every night and they would just sit on your chest like they were crushing you. And so that was very um, like purifying and clarifying and it brought me a lot of peace that I still kind of hold with me today. I don't really have, I don't really have any great internal tor turmoil. I would say probably because of my walk along Peru and Chile. Wow, that's 
It's crazy. And, and, and you know, this is uh, what this is interesting because I mean I read your blog every night or your Facebook posts whenever. I didn't get that out of it. You know, <laughs> you just that's really interesting. Yeah. You probably ahead, felt connected to the universe because you're looking at the the, the, the sky is not getting washed washed out by you know the lights from the city or anything like that. So everything is really bright. Probably could feel like you reach out and touch it. I, I can't imagine what that must be like, but that's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we're, def we're definitely missing it. Um, it's just such a, it's just, it was such a reminder that you're nothing. Like you're just <laughs> the most minuscule of minuscule things. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, in a certain way, that's very liberating. Um, in other ways, it can be very worrying. Depends on, depends on your outlook. Um, but yeah, it made me contemplate, you know, what is, what's important in life and what doesn't matter. And, um, you know, that the answer I came to when I was, when I was deep in the desert and really had no thoughts and, uh, you know, felt the stars crushing me was that's just like happiness is the only thing that matters. Like if you like it, because you know, everything else is just a means to try and make people the reason you get married is because you think it's going to make you happy the reason you have kids mm -hmm. is because you think it's gonna you know well that's probably genetics or whatever you know the reason you make money the reason you do anything is just to be happy be content kind of thing and when everything is ephemeral everything is leaving anyway anything permanent you create is going to be gone in one way or the other so it's like can you be happy can you make other people happy can you make maybe future generations happy because no one's carrying anything with them and that's the that's just the only that's the only currency really yeah and so that's what i came to uh deep in the deserts and that's what that's what the stars taught me <laughs> right. oh, a lesson <laughs> yes now your your parents following following the whole trip i mm -hmm. assume you had some type of satellite phone or something how did they handle you being away for so long or were they worried or yeah um, my mom in the beginning was very worried. She, I, I mean, she knew better than I was how much of an idiot I was <laughs> and how naive I was. Great waiter, though. I'll say that. <laughs> Great waiter. <laughs> yes. That's from my dad. He's very personable. So I, I okay. got that from him. He's a people person. Um, and my dad, my dad had camped. He, he lived off the land in Hawaii for five years he lived under a tarp so he was like yeah hey, go for it you know he didn't he's like this is part of it um but my mom was much more worried i don't think it was until probably like the first year once she saw i passed through mexico and guatemala and like part way down central america then she relaxed a little bit she was like okay he knows what he's doing and she began to trust me a little more um she said she would get freaked out though still when she would look on the map and she i would like uh, I, I started sharing uh, my GPS location with people and everyone should look at the map and she'd zoom out and see how far away I was. And that would really freak her out. <laughs> but uh, I'd say like after the first year, she really uh, started to, she really trusted me and, and trusted that I knew what I was doing. So Great. you were posting on social media quite a bit. Had South America caught up with who the world walker was? No, I would say, you know, the only time I was recognized on the walk that wasn't in the U.S. was in Ireland. 
And I mean, I did have people occasionally reach out to me. Uh, never in South America, my social media presence hadn't grown enough. I don't think at that point. But I got I got people in Europe um, saying, offering me a place to stay if I was passing through somewhere. And I actually took a few people up on it. Uh, but the only time I was recognized randomly was in Ireland. And you know, I'm walking and this guy, uh, you know, calls out, I said, Tom, it's like, what the, who, <laughs> Tom, who knows me here? And so he like ran over and was like, yeah, I, you know, I follow you. You, we, I, you know, saw you on Reddit, this thing, you know, it's incredible, whatever. And it was like very jarring, uh, to hear your name wow. in some place that you've never been before. Um, <laughs> but no, for the most part, um, I was anonymous in these places. And I'll say the great thing about traveling, particular traveling on foot and traveling in this manner uh, was that it always felt like I was discovering these places. You know, I, I wasn't going through in Peru. I'm, you know, I'm in Lima for a little bit. Um, and maybe I visit Cusco or, you know, or Machu Picchu or in Europe, you know, maybe I'm, I go to Copenhagen or, or Barcelona and, you know, I'm in there for a little bit for the, but for the majority of the, of the time when I'm in these countries, is I'm just passing through little towns where no tourists would ever be. So I always have this like sense of discovery. Every town I go to, I'm probably the only tourist there, especially when I was like in Central and South America and then out of Europe too. You know, I was the only tourist there. And in some of these countries, it was like they were just losing. Like, what are you doing here? This is incredible. <laughs> Why are you here in this little town? Um, and that's really, really satisfying. I mean, it brings a lot of the, um, I think when people travel, not for everyone, some people just want to go to the beach and lounge on the beach and relax because they're working hard and that's totally viable and totally reasonable. Um, but for the people who want to like, want that sense of discovery, uh, I feel like it can get lost a little bit when you're going to, you know, when you go to Paris or you go to Rome or wherever it is and you're surrounded by other tourists because it doesn't feel like you have that. You know, right. that sense that you're the only person there and that you're really talking, you're really getting to know um, a place. Uh, and so that, I would say, was one of the great benefits and one of the great joys of, of walking. So uh, you left the Antarctic and you went to I went up. Uh, yeah, so I flew home. Uh, it took a couple months to get Savannah's paperwork to get into Europe. Uh, and then we walked Ireland up north ireland into scotland uh, but at this point i had been having this uh, this bacteria infection that i picked up in south america was i didn't know it at the time but it was really s slowly worsening i started with just kind of stomach pains but by the time i got to scotland even in ireland i was collapsing um a few times a day with stomach spasms and in scotland i noticed when i got there uh, i was like losing weight and I uh, having to cinch my belt and then I was just exhausted, like, like I had never been. And, um, and so I ended up taking a train to London where my cousin lives. I spent a month in and out of infectious disease there. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I flew home, infection worsened in agony all the time. And they just started kind of throwing antibiotics at me until something started working. And I recovered. Once I recovered, picked up the walk uh, in Denmark uh, rather than Scotland because I was really afraid of the Scottish rain. 
and it was not an easy country to walk. And I was in not, um, not a great state after the recovery. And I was like, all right, I'll start in Denmark where there's going to be bike paths all the way down Germany or whatever. And it'll just be an easy, I'll ease my way back into Europe. So and, uh, what time frame was this? You went back. Uh, let's see. So, um, I picked up, that would have been, um, uh, February or March, 2018. So okay. Yeah. March, 2018, 27. No, I don't know. Some, sometime in March. Okay. Before, before the pandemic. Before the pandemic. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yep. So you're in, uh, uh, Denmark. You like Denmark. Yeah. Denmark. And then Denmark, Germany, uh, Belgium, France, Spain. So all Europe and Europe was, um, I mean, it was fantastic. It was a great place to be uh, recovering. Um, I, I definitely picked back up earlier than I would have liked, um, but my sponsorship would, with Philadelphia Sign was only um, was only going when I was walking, and I didn't have any money. And so I was like, I need to start walking again to to you know live. And so I picked up the walk really before I was ready, and it was. It was like a nightmare, honestly, when I started because uh, it was still a little bit of winter. So I was walking through snow and I love it, obviously. And and again, Europe was just so easy to walk. There's bike paths everywhere. There's great bakeries, great food. It's very peaceful. It's very safe. It's beautiful. Um, so it was ideal in that way. But I had just been in agony for like six months, basically. And towards the end, there's like three months where – I mean, I was sleeping like a couple hours a night. I developed colitis. I was still having these stomach spasms. I mean, it was pure like pain 24 hours a day unless I was sleeping. And even then, wasn't sleeping much. And so when I picked up the walk in Europe, and uh, I, was in, I was not in a great shape physically. And then all my thoughts like had this dark bend to them where normally my optimism was would like carry me through that had been twisted by all that pain I had been in and I was just in this really negative really pessimistic state and when even the smallest thing went wrong I would just like crumble emotionally and so it was really difficult and that whole walk down to San Sebastian Spain where I had to stop to get a, a visa extension uh, it was just miserable. I mean, I was just, mm. I mean, it was, it was such a juxtaposition between how easy the walking was and how beautiful it was versus the mental state I was in. And then you it wasn't until I got highs. onto the Camino in Spain. I'm, I'm sorry, Tommy, you experienced the highs and the, you experienced the highs and the lows. So when you're in the desert, you're like total Nirvana and then life hits you across mm -hmm. the head here. And now you've, you got a challenge. And so you, you, that appears to be the lowest part of your journey is battling this <clears throat> infection that you had. Um, so it's, it's almost like you had a, like yeah, a mini agree. life yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Um, and I would say one of the, one of the, the, the earliest things you learn when, if you're doing this sort of traveling, you're walking like this is that nothing's permanent. I mean, there's times, you know, you're pushing up the mountain and it sucks and this is terrible, but then you're at the mountaintop and then you're going downhill and then you do it again or whatever, <laughs> or even in, even in a more simple sense or, or a, a different sense, you know, there are sections, there's like a week say where just nothing would happen. 
And it was so boring. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, all I'm doing is walking every day, and I'm tired, and I'm camping in not these great campsites. And then the next week, you meet a person, someone interesting every single day. And you have great food every day. And you see amazing places every day. And that's just kind of life. Like, you know, it's just. Yep. yep. Highs and lows. Sometimes yep. it's, you know, it's. Uh, were were the campsites more prevalent in Europe than, say, South America, where you could camp every night? Uh, I mean, uh, I would say South America was fantastic camping because uh, it's very low population density. Okay. And, and especially in the desert. Um, so I can, I mean, the desert, I'll just walk out wherever we're up in the Andes, just walk wherever sleep. Um, whereas Europe is so densely populated, uh, that it was more difficult to hide away. But at the same time, there are more like campsites and most of the towns have a little, especially in France, had a little RV area and almost every town where, um, you know, travelers can park and get a hookup. And so camping was fine there too. Uh, but I, I'd stayed in more hotels in Europe out of necessity than probably anywhere else. How about food? Where was the best food? Oh, um, man. I mean, a lot of good food. I, Mexico's definitely up there. Um, Turkey, I would say, too. Georgia. Georgia has great food. Hmm. Um, yeah, I would say those are probably – I'll say those are probably the top three that I would go with. Um, what about, what about my home country, Italy? Walking. Italy. What about Italy? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot. I mean, Italy, yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, Italy's ridiculous. <laughs> Italy's just like, yep. I've never felt like such a bum in my life as when I got to Italy and my sneakers are torn and like I'm wearing the same clothes every day and the women are walking to work in stilettos and the men are in suits and they're drinking their espressos and... Yeah, I've never felt like such a bum before. <laughs> That's funny. I, I have another question, yeah, kind of back to logistics. Um, obviously, when you're in the desert or you're tromping through South America, there's no Acme nearby. So so how did you figure out your provisions? And then um, what were you feeding Savannah? Was she eating what you're eating? Yeah, so the provisions were... It, I mean, this is a, a lot of trial and error again. Um, and again, it's a good thing I started in the U.S. where I had time to kind of figure out what I needed and, and what uh, how much I needed of things. I, re I relied a lot on peanut butter uh, <laughs> because it's just a lot of calories and protein and salt and fat has everything in it. It's like perfect traveling food. Uh, and then otherwise, there's a lot of dry goods. Um, so granola, we get it nuts, um, dried fruit, all that uh, pasta, uh, all those dried goods. And then it becomes about just looking ahead on the map and knowing, okay, this is how long you have until you know the next town or whatever. And so again, in 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 the deserts, um, even in Wyoming, say, or in Kansas, you have to be really mindful of that. I mean, you have to you have to mm. be thinking about that when you get to town and be very sure, okay, you have enough for three days or whatever it is to get to, right. to this town um, and then recharge. In other countries, in Europe, in, in the Northeast of the US, you can get away with not carrying any food because there's just, you're hitting a town, you know, three, four times a day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it depends on the country and, um, 
and you just you know whatever the country had whatever you know even in you know in in little towns in the middle of nowhere there's people living there um so you just get whatever they're getting and probably uh if i'm stopping in town i would stop at a restaurant and i would eat as big a meal as i could and i'd probably order a meal to go carry that with me have that too and you know have a nice meal before i started getting into the same old things i was always eating right. and um and then savannah Savannah just she would eat whatever dog food I could get, and I could get dog food uh, pretty much everywhere, uh, which yeah. always which kind of surprised me. The, I remember even in like this little town in Argentina, which was so removed from everything, you know, they would have these all these little towns would have this like big maybe like eighty pound bag of dog food, and you could just buy a kilogram at a time from it. Um, the only countries that I couldn't find dog food was Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia, which are uh, primarily, or they're just Islamic countries, not a lot of dogs. Right. And, and when I went through those, Savannah was eating like uh, sausage and, um, you know, beef pate. So she was probably happier in this country. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Happy dog. This is what I signed on for. Right. <laughs> not exactly. Not yeah. 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 So how, how long were you in Europe? <laughs> Europe was, um, man, uh, so it would have been three months down from Denmark down to Spain and then another month and a half through Spain. And then it was up Italy for like three months. I took my time in Italy for obvious reasons. And then, uh, and then it was along the Mediterranean, the Adriatic for another I guess three, four months. So it was probably it was like a year in Europe, basically. And yeah. this entire time you're walking through Europe, you're not being challenged by authorities or. Uh, no, I mean no. The people. <laughs> so like in Scotland, when I was very sick or getting sick, I remember I was so tired, and I came to this bend in the road, and there's a bus stop there, and I and it was pouring rain. And I just called and I, I like went into this bus stop and it's like fairly remote. It's not totally remote, but it's like this bus stop isn't going to be used. Basically, you could tell. And so I just like, I'm going to, this is where I'm sleeping tonight. And so I laid in the bus stop and whatever. And then around midnight, uh, the police were around midnight, the police were called and they come over and it was, um, two police officers. And they were just like the nicest people ever. They're like, what do you, oh, you have your little friend with you? Okay, here's what you're doing. It's like, oh, well, there's a better place to camp, you know, if you walk like a kilometer up the road. And I was like, oh, you know, I was like, I'm so tired. It's already raining. It's like, forget it. Oh, you know, I'm not going to do that. I was like, okay, all right, well, you know, be safe. And they just let me be. So nice. And then the next morning as I'm walking away, uh, a different police officer came up and was like, hey, I was looking for you. Here you go. And he gave me two like sausage um, pastries for breakfast. Oh, it was wow. fantastic. <laughs> um, so I would say, yeah, I would say, I mean, I'm, it's actually, maybe I don't want to get into this, but I'm going to anyway. One of the most frustrating things about the US is the, how paranoid the police have to be. And I don't say, I don't want to say like, it's, you know, the police officers, police officers are put in a very difficult position because just everyone has guns. And so they have to be paranoid. All right. But I was stopped more in the U.S. and more aggressively, like by a million percent than anywhere else in the world. I mean, and huh. I was stopped by police all the time in places, just asking for papers, whatever. But they're always really nice. And they didn't come from that place of 
you know, fear or mistrust. It was from, I'm a civil servant and, you know, here's the rules, whatever, you know, here's how can I help right. you? Okay. You know, let's navigate this thing together. Um, yeah. yeah so, and I, mean, huh. I remember in Kansas, I was stopped three times in a week by the police because someone called the police. They saw the strange man walking through Kansas. Right. And, <laughs> and two of them were like insanely aggressive and armed to the teeth and patting me down. And then it was just like, man, I miss the days of the police giving me a, <laughs> a, a sausage pastry morning. <laughs> yeah. So, so you left Europe and you uh, entered the United States in where? Uh, that was in, uh, man, I can't remember. That was 20, man, when did I finish walk? In 22, right? In 22. Uh, last, yeah, last summer we... Yeah, 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 yeah. In twenty two, uh, so September twenty two, I came back. Yeah, and you and entered walked, and in back California, March. Seattle, or hit the wrong there button there, Sal. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about that. <laughs> oh, no worries. Apologize. Uh, you came in through in... Seattle or California, was it or? Yeah, through Seattle. You know, Seattle. Seattle over to uh, Montana, Montana, then down uh, Idaho, back into Montana, down Wyoming. Colorado, and then basically across the Great Plains all the way to um, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Wow. Yep. That's amazing journey. Really amazing. <laughs> would, you, would you do it again? No. Uh -uh. No? <laughs> <laughs> Why the uh, hell would no. I? <laughs> it's a great life. No, yeah. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a great life, but it was very difficult. Uh, yeah, you know, it, was, it was the best life, but it was very difficult. And I'm very glad. Did you There's ever, ever right now? I'm glad to be inside. Did you ever yeah. have a, uh, the hell with this? I'm leaving. I'm going home. Why am I doing this? Am I freaking no, crazy? I mean, no, I never got to that point. You know, again, never. this is something I thought about for so long and, uh, I was really careful about, you know, you know, I had the idea at 17, it took me eight years to figure it, to, to, to make it happen. So this wasn't some like half-hearted thing where I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, this is what I want to do. It's like, no, this was, right. this was deep into me. This was a part of me. And so as difficult as it got, there was never really a part of me that was going to throw in the towel. I, I would watch as you were coming across the United States, you would post you're in this town, that town. And I would go on Google and look at these towns. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. these towns are still open because yeah. <laughs> they look really deserted. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of little towns. Some of those, some of those towns had some great, uh, great diners, some great bakeries. I remember I had that. Great food yeah. across America for sure. I bet. Yeah. Oh, um, Tom, tell us, so tell us a little bit about. Um, yeah, but before we get to that, I just, I'm sorry, Rich. I, I made a note about your meeting in Turkey. This guy, uh, Eagle Halderson, I think it was. Mm. What was that all about? Because I think that was oh, yeah. kind of a, a seminal a moment for you. Aik, <laughs> okay, it looked like eagle to me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So he's he's from Iceland, um, and so that was in. So I was in Turkey. I walked across Turkey uh, along the Black Sea in the north, and then I got to Azerbaijan. COVID hit. Everything closed, and I was stuck there for a little bit. And Turkey was one of the few countries that was still open and it was big enough uh, because of COVID because of COVID. So I picked up, I, I flew back to Turkey and then I just walked like a loop around this section that I hadn't been before. And I got to, um, Kosh, it's a little town on the Mediterranean. 
and it was very nice. And now at this point, the world is closed. I had nothing else to do. I was just walking back to Istanbul, basically in this big loop. And I was like, hey, you know, I'll stay another week. I'll stay another week, whatever. And, you know, I ended up, Ayik was one of these guys. He's from Iceland. It was one of these people who was, you know, basically kind of like escaping COVID in a certain way in this, in this little town or like wintering COVID in a nice place. Mm -hmm. And I made all these friends there. And it was like the first time on the walk that I had uh, a community and Eric was a part of it. And it was really great. And I really needed it like so terribly. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also really drove home the fact that I was just so over it at that point. I mean, at that point, it was <laughs> six years of walking. Yeah. And um it was just enough of uh, it, the contrast of what I didn't have and like the community I didn't have um, was really pronounced there in Kosh. Yeah. And, uh, and it, yeah, and it just drove home that, okay, like I think six years has been long enough out here. <laughs> it's time to go home. <laughs> had, had you originally planned to hit Africa or? What's that? Did you ever think about headed down towards Africa? Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to have done more of Africa, uh, but I already knew initially I thought the walk would take five years and mm -hmm. um, I had planned it on how easy the visas would be to attain. And so that's how the route was devised. Okay. Um, and Africa, I mean, is enormous and you need visas for a lot of the countries and it would probably take three years, leg legitimately probably take three years to walk Africa, to down Africa. And wow. I already knew, even from the beginning, I was like, that's just, I'm, I'm not going to make this, you know, I'm not going to add that on. And so I'll just do the, the I'll do North Africa and, you know, uh, I'll see the rest of Africa hopefully later in, in my life kind of thing. But no, I mean, Africa would be, that's an adventure. That's a, that's a massive adventure in itself. If you're going to walk Africa. How about Asia, China, Vietnam? I would love, I mean, would, would have loved to. Um, I miss Kazakhstan and Mongolia on my route um, because of uh, COVID. Um, they were still closed by the time I had crossed Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan. Um, and yeah, I mean, every other, I mean, every country in Asia was closed basically at that point. And I didn't feel like waiting a year for them to reopen. Um, and, and, and Asia was the reason I chose Kazakhstan and Mongolia to go to is because it would have been easy with the visas. And if I had went further south, I mean, China, you can't get a visa long enough to cross it. And then mm -hmm. if you go further south, you need visas for a lot of those countries in the Himalayas. And then in Southeast Asia, it's like, all right, well, this is Kazakhstan, Mongolia, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Mongolia would be the easiest with the visas. But it ended up not mattering because of uh, COVID. So if you could uh, get on an airplane today and mm -hmm. say, I'm going to visit oh, someplace. I, I think Japan. Where would top. it be? Of all the countries you visited originally uh, on the that? walk. Of, of the countries oh, that you visited on the walk, I want to take okay. an airplane over and spend a week or two there. Mm. Oh, man. Uh I think at this even, point, even good morning America didn't ask you that question, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Coming up with the goods. Um, I would probably at this point, I'd probably like back to Europe back to at Europe. this okay. point in, at this point in my life, I think, um, because yeah, I, you know, I feel like I've done enough discovering 
Okay. And uh, I'm satisfied in that way. And when you go to Europe, it's like, I'm just, I just want to bounce from cafe to cafe. And I don't want to hear any cars honking. And uh, I want to go to some museums, eat some good food. And, and that would be a great vacation for me. Okay. Um, so I think it would probably, that's what it would be. And that's not to say, I mean, like, like Central South America, amazing places. Turkey, I will be back someday. Georgia, incredible. Mm. Uzbekistan is like this undiscovered gem that is just opening to the world and that no one goes to. Kyrgyzstan, maybe the most beautiful country I've ever been to. Mm. Um, and those are all, you know, maybe at different points in my life. But I think right now, yeah, it's probably uh, it's probably somewhere in Europe. <laughs> That's great. So what's next? Any yeah, books what's coming next? out? <clears throat> yeah. yeah, so I have uh, a memoir coming out in September is the plan. Uh, my editor has it right now. So we're going back and forth on the edits. But it'll be coming out with Skyhorse Publishing in September. And so maybe when you hear this, there will be a pre-order button that you can hit. Uh, so editing, working away on that, and then doing um, a lot of uh, motivational speaking. And so that is how I am paying the bills, is doing uh, these talks. And I really enjoy it. It's something I think before I would have felt like such a fraud uh, getting up there and, and espousing something. Uh, but, you know, after walking around the world, it's like, no, there's things I believe in and there's things that uh, I think are of value to say. And so um, yeah. I'm very much enjoying that. Uh, so That's awesome. yeah, right now it's, it's uh, speaking and writing and then, you know, just trying to live an easy life. Yeah, that's the way to go. <laughs> yeah. That's an great. Easy life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom, thank you for doing this. This has been uh, so fascinating. Think, <clears throat> yep. Yeah. We're yeah, holding you to the guys. hour. We promise you. And yeah, you want to come back well. and uh, hit us up on the book comes out. You are more than welcome. We'll pay yeah. you the same thing that we paid you today. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it sounds fantastic. Thanks for the great interview, guys. It was nice talking with you. It was yeah, it really was, good talking great. with you. I really, yeah. Like awesome. I said, I was a big fan watching you do this whole thing, and he, I remember the day he came back in the Haddon Township. Everybody was walking with you, and. You say you made it out of Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Choose that route wisely. Yes. Yes, indeed. Thanks. Yes, indeed. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. We're going to roll out of here with um, a song that we thought eh, might be interesting. So um, kind of follow the theme here. It's the uh, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Walk like a man. Love Frankie Valley. <laughs> He's never heard it. <laughs> oh, no. I, I listen to Frankie all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody.